Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Hi, I'm Michael Turtelot, sitting in for Jesse, and this is Pickled Parables. Today we're going to talk about kids and what they teach us about relating to God. My daughter Faye is three and a half, and the morning of me writing this, she was sitting at her little table in the corner of our kitchen with an upside-down copy of Hallie's Bible handbook, a pocket New Testament, and a spiral notebook, preparing a sermon. I realized this was an amalgamation of a couple of things she'd seen me and my wife do. First, my wife Amanda uses a Bible and a devotional book and a journal during her quiet times in the morning, which doubtless explains the handbook, New Testament, and notebook Faye was using. And second, Faye has seen me preach, or as we call it with her, talk at church. And while she wasn't doing any talking this morning, she was giving a sermon a few days ago in the living room accompanied by her books and notes, just as she'd seen Daddy do on Sundays. On that day, preaching to me and her sister Phoebe, Faye was sharing some lines from her favorite children's Bible stories and with the occasional random interjection of words like grace and glory. As I stood watching her this morning with a smile on my face and a familiar sense of almost painful love in my heart, I couldn't help thinking that I was probably getting a glimpse into what my study and my preaching attempts must look like to the Heavenly Father and the love with which He watches me struggle through those things. I realized that my efforts that I take so seriously to the Father are, I don't think there's any other word for it, cute. Because the reality is that as I study my Bible... I, like Faye, am doing well just to have the book the right side up. As I prepare my notes, I, like Faye, am doing well if they are anything more than meaningless scribbles. And I, when I give my sermons, I, like Faye, am doing well if my audience can catch those truths they've heard a thousand times and perhaps hear those all-important terms, grace and glory. Because in reality, I am a child and always will be in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. As a disclaimer, this episode is not designed to, dis- to encourage laziness or mediocrity in anyone's pursuit of Jesus. Rather, I hope to remind us of reality in the hope that reality will help us set our expectations appropriately, because I think that is the path to rightly pursuing Jesus with joy, peace, humility, and the other virtues that are supposed to accompany that pursuit. I think reality is a curative to the pride that so often undermines those virtues. Or in the words of Jesus, I think the truth will set you free.
I've thought a lot about children over the last three and a half years. That's what happens when you have a child. And one of my favorite things about being a father is that I get a glimpse into God's mind and heart that is inaccessible to all who are not fathers. Just as being a husband or a pastor also gives me unique glimpses into God's experience with his creation. Just as farmers and doctors and teachers and judges and mothers and others get unique glimpses into God's mind and heart, we all relate to God in uniquely privileged ways. What being a father has taught me more than anything is the reality of unconditional love. Like what that feels like. I love Faye and Phoebe not because they do anything for me, but simply because they are mine. Not as in I own them, but as in they are a part of me. I have come to realize that that cheesy line about having a child is like having your heart walk around outside your body. That line is completely true. I love my daughters because I have to. I don't know how not to. Everything they do brings me joy and endears them to me, even the things that drive me crazy. My wife and I were on a date recently, and as we came out of a store, we saw a mother with a crying baby, and this made us both instantly miss our girls. How nonsensical is that? There we were, enjoying a nice, quiet date together, and a crying baby makes us wish we had our crying baby with us, too. Time away from your kids is necessary, and it's nice in theory, but do you know what happens when my wife and I are away from our kids? We miss them within five minutes and usually spend most of our time talking about them. Don't get me wrong, having kids is hard. Really, really hard sometimes. Hence the necessity of time away from them. But at the end of the day, I would rather be with my daughters having full-on meltdowns than on a sunny beach somewhere apart from them. I'll be honest, at times, it's really kind of infuriating how much I love them. If you're a parent, you probably get what I mean. It's love without a choice. Love as a state of being and identity, which I think is what it truly means to be a father or a parent. And I don't know about you, but as I describe it, doesn't that sound a lot like God's relationship to mankind as seen in the Bible? There really aren't too many bright spots on the human side of things in the history of man's relationship to God. And yet, God just seems like he can't help himself. There's this point in Hosea 2 where God spends 13 verses describing the idolatry of Israel as that of, an, as, as that of the adultery of a, of a faithless wife. And he talks about how he's going to punish Israel, this faithless wife, when all of a sudden there's this abrupt switch. Listen to verses 13 through 15. They catch the end of God saying he's going to punish Israel, and then the abrupt transition. 13. 
and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there... I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So God goes from talking about how he's going to punish Israel for her adulterous idolatry, and all of a sudden he switches And he starts remembering the early days of his relationship to Israel and how he called her out of Egypt and spoke tenderly to her in the wilderness, in love. Isn't that a crazy switch? This scripture reminds me of times when I've been angry with my wife or one of my daughters and at first that anger just kind of blots everything else out. But then I take a few minutes to cool off and realize that being angry and and worse still venting that anger on my wife or daughter isn't going to make anything better. And that what I really want to do is remind them of how much I love them. That's what I picture God doing here, except for God's anger is completely righteous and mine is usually at least tinged with sin. But first he's doing like the angry pace thing, back and forth, going over all the wrong things Israel has done toward him. But then his love takes over, and he tenderly decides to remind Israel of his great love. This is the kind of unconditional love the father has for his wayward children. We see it again in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. This is a son who basically tells his father he wishes he was dead, runs off and wastes his inheritance, and ends up coming back to the father in utter disgrace. And how does the father respond? In joy and love and celebration. All of this suggests to me that it is very good to be a child of God's To be his child is to have his love no matter what. Just as it says in Romans 8, 31 through 39, look there and see that there is nothing that can separate God's children from his love. And this in turn, that it is good to be a child of God's, sheds new light on Jesus saying, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is made for the childlike. It is designed for the child. It's made for those who assume the love of God. Like a little child assumes the love of his or her father. It's made for those who do not even think to doubt his provision and goodness. Who don't hide anything. Who have faith without question. And we could go on and on listing 
childlike virtues. But being childlike requires humility. It requires accepting the fact that you and I do not have all the answers, not even close. I mean, have you ever considered everything that you don't know? If you haven't, I can save you some trouble and tell you it's a lot of stuff. What you don't know infinitely outweighs what you do know. Before the God of the universe, we're all just a bunch of kids with upside-down books scribbling nonsense on notepads. This is not to say that we can't know anything or that we shouldn't try to grow in our knowledge. Again, I'm not trying to make you give up. But I am trying to point out that to seek knowledge for the sake of figuring it all out is foolish because what we have to learn is accumulating faster than we can learn it. Whereas to seek knowledge for the sake of getting to know and be more like that father who thrills with love to watch us fumbling with the book he gave us is a glorious joy. And yet so often, my joy in seeking God is undermined by a sense of failure that's rooted in my pride because I think my progress is too slow. And this comes from a sense that, in general, I succeed at the things that I do. But viewing myself as a child tells me the opposite. It tells me that success in terms of really knowing something, is probably the rarity. And failure to grasp truth, really, is probably more the norm. This is why verses like Proverbs 3.5 tell us not to lean on our own understanding, because it's faulty and limited. But that's okay if we're children. Because God knows that we're children. He's just excited to see you or me mimicking him. And to hear us occasionally touch on some of those infinitely glorious truths of his reality. Having a childlike view of myself also brings peace. Peace with God. Because I know his love isn't based on my performance, but on the fact that he has claimed me as his own. He created me. He redeemed me. He is sanctifying me. And in the end, he will, re he will unite me, along with everyone else he has claimed, with himself in his glory. Nothing in all creation can separate me from his love. It also brings peace with others. Our unspoken belief, or sometimes spoken belief, that we know better than other people causes a lot of division and turmoil. It doesn't take a very long listen to the world around us to hear people explicitly saying, or at least insinuating, that they kind of have the whole thing figured out. Politicians on the right and on the left, self-help gurus and celebrities, atheistic scientists, and yes, Christians of all stripes, seem to have a firm grasp on this life thing and all its complexity, and we're not really afraid to let the other side know it. 
clearly that's worked out well for us. That was a joke. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, Paul says, We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, quote-unquote, puffs up. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. What Paul is saying there is that if we think we know something definitively or exhaustively, we do not know as we ought to know because there's always more to learn. To put it another way, no one will ever have the whole thing figured out. So perhaps we would do better to remember that we are each one person in a world of seven billion people on one of billions of planets, in one of billions of galaxies, in a universe, the border of which is constantly expanding and already farther away than we will ever get. And if theoretical physics and Marvel are to be believed, our universe may only be one of several or an infinite amount of universes, rendering the very word universe actually a misnomer. To put this in other terms, we are all, in fact, children. And the things we don't know are increasing at a rate that far outstrips the rate at which we are learning. Again, I'm not trying to discourage learning or the pursuit of truth. I'm just trying to inject the proper amount of humility into that pursuit. The infinitude of reality over, that God is over is actually fascinating and should inspire curiosity and awe and a thirst for learning and growing and understanding. And if the pursuit of understanding that infinite reality is enjoyable to us, then it is actually the offer of endless joy to discover that reality. And hey, that kind of sounds like Psalm 1611 in which David says, In God's presence is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But I think that only comes when we pursue truth with the motives of a child, enjoying the attempt at mimicking our loving Father, and by so doing, coming to know and love him more. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they may have the strength to comprehend how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Did you catch that? Paul wanted the Ephesians to know what can't be fully known, to grow in the knowledge of that which cannot be fully known. And that implies an eternal pursuit of deeper and more glorious understanding of the love of Jesus, not in order to exhaust the subject, which will never happen, but to experience more and more of that fullness of joy that comes in knowing Him. That, John 17, 3 says, is eternal life. One day... Faye is going to turn Hallie's Bible handbook and her pocket New Testament right side up. And then she's going to learn how to read what they say. 
And as she does, I pray she grows in her understanding of that infinite love of Jesus and the Father, such that it drives her to communicate that love to others in word and deed. She already knows the words, grace, and glory, and I love to simply hear her speak them. But one day, she'll know what they mean, and I'll love that even more. One day, I hope to know what they really mean for myself. Because what I've come to know of those words so far has left me wanting more. And though in reality I barely have a child's understanding of those infinite truths, I can feel the Father's smiles every time I consider them and every time I speak of them to others. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.